haven't got the storybook yet, you do need to order one. It's it's great to read. Uh, we don't have any more here, but Amazon does. Amazon's got everything, and you can get it there. Uh, people have asked, is there an audiobook version? Yes. Is there an ebook version? Yes. Uh, so just pick it up wherever you're at. Uh, today, we're in chapter two of the story, and this is really a period of time called the Patriarchs. Um, don't want to bore you with too much, but this is sort of a, a, an interesting time in history, uh, of, of divine history, where we're before the law, so we don't have the codified law of Moses that tells people how they ought to act and behave and worship. Uh, we're in a place where people are functioning a little more organically in their relationship with God. And there's a lot, a little bit more confusingness, and, and people are having to ask, you know, more questions and have more dialogue with God. And in, in this week's readings, um, I made this error. I've, I've always, I've told all of the preachers that are going to be preaching uh, through this series uh, to not preach the entire text because you just can't do it in a Sunday. I'm going to try uh, because there's so much here that's happening. Because we've got Abraham. He's the father of faith. Um, he is celebrated in the New Testament as being the father of faith. And if you grew up going to Sunday school, you sang about Father Abraham and how he had many sons. And many sons have Father Abraham. Um, and I'm one of them. And so are you. And and so we can, yeah, there's a whole lot that could happen next. So, But we're going to skip that part. But it's interesting to me, as I was reading through the account of the story this time, uh, and this is what I love about reading the stories, because it's presented a little differently, new things stand out to you. And here's what stood out to me, is that Abraham's the father of faith, and maybe Jacob's the father of struggle and doubt. Um, and there, there, there are so many... Parallel accounts of what they each do and how Abraham makes a faithful choice and Jacob makes an unfaithful choice. Now, don't get me wrong. Abraham's not perfect. You know, he he tells his wife to take, you know, one for the team. And he's like, listen, honey, I know that, you know, people are going to ask about you. Just say you're my sister so that way they don't kill me. You know, it's kind of bad. He's like, do whatever you want to this, my wife. Just leave me alone. I mean, um, this is sort of the attitude he has. But in each moment, he has this opportunity to choose faithfulness and, and to sort of step towards that, we see that, that he more often than not does. And yet Jacob, uh, for most of his life, he is just fighting God and fighting God and fighting God. And as I was going through this, I saw that there were three particular struggles in the life of faithfulness. And, and I know that that's where we are. And so here's the three struggles of faithfulness. I, I saw that they both struggle with possessions or wrestle with possessions. They both struggle and wrestle with people and they struggle with God. I was trying to come up with a really great, succinct way to say all that uh, this week, and then I happened to have a divine appointment, I think, with Jeff Rose, who was reading a book called From Strength to Strength. I've not read it. I have no idea what really it's all about, but here's, um, here's what this author said, that you're supposed to use things, love people, and worship the divine, and I thought, that's it. That's actually exactly what we're looking for here in our text, and so I want us to sort of look at asking this question. What does it mean to live a faithful life? And I want to look at it in terms of our relationship with things and people and God and see if we can't come up with a picture here. I'm going to recap and tell some of the stories. If you missed them, I'd encourage you to go back and read chapter 2. Uh, but using things, that's the, the step one, is we've got to use things. Uh, Abraham, he uses possessions to help his family. Abraham is going to choose his family over his possessions when he allows Lot to pick some grazing land. He's going to risk his possessions when he goes to save Lot. Uh, Jacob, on the other hand, he is happy to use his family to get more possessions. Jacob
God starts from this really kind of weird place. It says that he is born and that uh, he and his twin brother Esau, Esau's older, he came out, uh, you know, a, a few seconds before. It says that Jacob was holding on to his heel as he comes out of the womb, and he gets the name heel grabber or supplanter. Uh, and so from the very beginning, when you name your kids supplanter, you're not setting them up for success. You know, this is why we don't have a lot of kids running around named Judas. You know, here's my son, Judas. Yeah, that's, that's, we don't name them that anymore. Why? Because we just sort of understand you don't want to set them up for that. But they, back in this time, they're like, well, that's what he does. He grabs people's heels. And so Jacob comes out this way, and he's constantly grabbing after the stuff Esau has. He's got this encounter with Esau where Esau's out doing manly things because that's who Esau was. He's out. He's all hairy and rugged and in the field and killing things. And he comes back, and he's hungry, and Jacob's inside, and he's got his apron on, and he's stirring a pot of soup. And Esau goes, man, I'm so hungry. And Jacob's like, well, I'll sell you some of this soup. And Esau's like, what do you want? And he's like, I want your birthright. Uh, let, me, let me help you with that. That's your inheritance. I will give you one bowl of soup for all of your inheritance from dad. Now, here's what that would have actually been. Uh, Abraham's possessions, Abraham was a wealthy guy, would have been divided between his two sons. But in this time, the oldest son got an extra portion. So instead of having, you know, three portions or two portions, you'd have figured for three. And so that means Esau's getting two-thirds of dad's estate, Jacob's getting one-third. And Jacob says, I want the whole thing. And Esau, uh, I don't know this guy, but, you know, nobody seems to really feel bad for Esau. Maybe he had it coming to him. I don't know. But Esau goes, yeah, that sounds like a fair trade. I'll take the soup, and you can have all of my inheritance. Later, he regrets this, I imagine. But he ate it. He was hangry, I mean, at an extreme level. But this is where Jacob's at. Jacob is saying, you know what? I'm scheming. I'm going to take what's mine. I I'm not going to use possessions. I'm going to use people to get possessions. And that's the struggle for everybody with faith, is who possesses who. Do you possess your possessions, or do your possessions possess you? Because in this instance, I think it's very clear that Jacob is possessed with this pursuit of more. And so Jacob is happy to use people to get things. He is happy to use his brother and sell him down the road, and he does quite often in order to get more. You see, Jesus warns us about the God of mammon. Why is that? It's because Jesus knows that if we don't possess our possessions and they start to possess us, then what ends up happening is they become a God. And we essentially trade our soul and our relationships for more. That's what happens. And yet, if you read through Scripture, you see that God has this special relationship with those who don't have much. He has a special relationship with the poor. Why is that? It's because they're constantly talking to God. They're asking for crazy things like our daily bread. And God has this relationship with them, and they know that they need it. Whereas the wealthy and the folks that accumulate more and more, they don't feel that need of God, and they forget God. That's, that's the problem. So if we're thinking about how do we live faithful lives, we've got to make sure that we use possessions, that we possess our possessions, and that our possessions don't possess us. That's what Abraham does. Abraham uses his possessions to bless people. He uses his possessions to love people. That's the second thing we've got to do, is we've got to make sure that we love people well. Abraham and Lot leave, um, leave their homeland, and they go to this new place. We call it the promised land today. And when they get there, they realize,
nice, but it is not quite big enough for them to be right next to each other all the time. You see, today, when we talk about wealth, you know, we think of dollars and cents and, and bank accounts and investments. But back in this time, if you were a wealthy person, you had a lot of flocks and livestock and herd. And so, you know, you didn't have to guess if somebody was wealthy. You just look around and see how many goats and sheep and, and cattle and all those things that they had. And Abraham and Lot both had amassed quite a bit. Uh, they had so much that they couldn't live next to each other because the, the land wasn't going to support both of their herds. And so they needed to separate now, Abraham's older. He's the one who's been called by God. He is Lot's uh, uncle. He could have said, Lot, listen, you hit the road, and I'm going to go over here. But instead, he says, listen, Lot, I value our relationship too much to, to make you feel like you've been shortchanged. So, Lot, I want you to go ahead and decide. I'll give you first pick. Where do you want to go in this land? You go north, I'll go south. You go east, I'll go west. Where do you want? And so Lot makes that choice. And if you read through the text, you see that Lot chooses what looks to be the best and most fertile place. And Abraham goes a different direction. But you know what? That's okay because Abraham is comfortable with this. Abraham says, I would rather have people close than more possessions. Abraham's going to do this again. When Lot is kidnapped and captured by some warlords that live nearby, Abraham's going to saddle up and tell his men to, to get ready. And then they go in pursuit they rescue Lot. They rescue his family. They rescue the others that have been kidnapped. They rescue all of the material that had been stolen and all of the wealth that had been stolen. And in fact, they take some from, from these uh, warlords themselves. And according to sort of common practice at this time, Abraham would have been entitled to all of that bounty, uh, but he doesn't keep it. He doesn't keep it because he doesn't want there to be bad blood between him and his neighbors. Here's what he says in Genesis 14. He says, I will accept nothing belonging to you not even a thread or the strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. You see what Abraham is saying is, listen, possessions are great, but if it's going to come between us, I don't want it. If it's going to hurt our relationship, I'm not interested in it. So you take what's yours, you keep what's yours, and, and I will take only what my men have eaten. I will take only what, you know, what is entitled to me. And as a result, Abraham receives this blessing from this mysterious guy in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this Christ-like figure who just shows up with bread and wine of all things. It reminds us today of communion, and he blesses Abraham. Abraham earns this blessing through, through bravery and through love. See, Jacob also gets a blessing, but he doesn't earn it. He steals it. He, he takes it again. He, it's not enough for him to have Esau's inheritance. Now he wants the special blessing that he would have been entitled to uh, from his father. And so Jacob, when it comes time, Isaac knows that he's getting old. This is dad. And Isaac calls his two sons and says, hey, listen, I'm going to bless you. And, and Jacob concocts this scheme with the help of his mother. And he steals this blessing by tricking his father into giving him the blessing that was entitled to Esau. You see, Jacob, he, he just can't quite seem to, to love the people in his life well. He is consumed with possessions. He's consumed with more. Now, here's what I would love to tell you. Like, I would love to have, like, a, a moral lesson for you and tell all of the kids in the audience that when you lie and when you deceive, you always lose. But in fact, that's not what happens. Jacob does okay. Jacob, in fact, gets the possessions. Jacob, in fact, gets that blessing. Jacob, in fact, gets a bit further down the road. And if you've lived in reality for a while, you know that that's true. That sometimes people lie and cheat and they steal and they, they fudge on taxes and they fudge on other things. And guess what happens? 
they get ahead and they accumulate more. And this is what happens with Jacob. Jacob gets ahead, he accumulates more. But here's what's interesting, and I think that this is something we should hang on to. The more possessions Jacob acquires by using people, the less people Jacob has around him. So he finds that he's surrounded by a lot of stuff, but by not a lot of people that he can trust. It damages his relationships. It hurts his family. And it puts Jacob into a place of isolation. Eventually, this gets so bad that he's afraid Esau is going to kill him. And so he flees his father's house. He runs away. And on the way, running to his uncle for safety, he has an encounter with God. I want to put this uh, text up on the screen, Genesis 28. It says, he had a dream that night in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, or if you grew up in Sunday school of a certain generation, it was a ladder, uh, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. You know, we always have a deep voice for God, but John Maxwell asked, what if God's like an Irish tenor? And he's like, I am the Lord. Some of you are really bothered by that, but we just don't know. That's all I'm saying. We'll go with a normal voice. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Now, this is a miraculous moment. <clears throat> and Jacob wakes up, and he's like, what has happened? I've had an encounter with God. This wasn't a normal dream. This wasn't like he was like, I ate too much chips and guac before I went to bed. He is like, there is something special about this place. He wakes up, and he says this. He says, when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this, <laughs> was in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And pause for just a second. So let's say that your whole life you've been sort of cutting, you know, raw deals for people. You've been, you know, chasing after more. You've been taking advantage of people. You've been ignoring God. Let's say all of this has been happening in your life. And then all of a sudden, one night while you're fleeing because of the way you've been living your life, and now you have an encounter with God, and you say, this is the Lord's place. This is holy. This is the very gate of heaven. What would you do next? You would probably, if you were like most people, you would say, well, you know what, God, I, I'm sorry. I've clearly done some things wrong. Thanks for showing up. I've got, I've got some decisions to make. I've got some choices that, I, that are going to be difficult, but they're going to have to be made in order to turn my life around. Listen to Jacob's response. <clears throat> Jacob made a vow saying this. What's that first word there? If. If. God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me the food to eat and the clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. Jacob does not have a moment of repentance. You see what's happening here. He's trying to strong arm God the same way that he strong arms people. God, hey, neat show. Thanks for showing up. Like the lights, like the smoke, like the dream, like all that stuff. But God, unless you actually deliver on this, sorry, but I'm not interested. This is Jacob. You see, Jacob fails to understand that we use things, we love people, and we worship God. We worship Him. Jacob has heard the stories of Abraham. 
I mean, you could contrast Abraham's faith with Jacob's faith. Abraham, what does he do? He is called by the Lord before he knows who God is, before he knows about what God does, before God has proved him. God simply says, hey, I want you to leave what you know, and I want you to move to a new place. And Abraham says, okay, I'll do it. And he goes in faith. Jacob has heard that story. He's heard the story of his father Isaac and how God has provided miraculously for him a wife and all of these different things. And Jacob knows God's history, and yet he refuses to worship him. He refuses to trust in him. You see, Jacob wrestles with God. He fights with God his entire life. Even in this moment when he has this divine, miraculous encounter, he says, God, I'm sorry, you're going to have to do better than that compare this with what I think was probably the biggest moment of Abraham's life where he had to wrestle with God. And that was when God calls to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one I gave your wife when you were both like a hundred, and I want you to sacrifice him. I know this is a promised child, but it's time you go and sacrifice your son. Now, to those of us who are modern hearers, we're horrified by this. We're like, Who's going to ask for child sacrifice? This is like dark stuff, and it is. But of all the people that were surprised by it, it would not have been Abraham. Abraham's neighbors and the religions that were around him, this was a common thing. It, the, the greater the sacrifice, the greater reward. And so Abraham, I wonder if he suspected his whole life that this was eventually going to happen. That he said, you know what, one day God's going to ask me for this, and I'm going to have to deliver it. So Abraham, what does he do? He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't bargain. He says, all right, God, we do it your way. And if you've read this week, you know that he has his son carry the wood on his back, and he carries the fire, and they go. And they just walk up that mountain to make that sacrifice. Now, here's the thing that Abraham doesn't know, but that we do, is that God was doing this not because he wanted Isaac to be sacrificed. I think God was doing this to teach us something God was actually doing this, I think, to show Abraham that, yes, he was a God who could ask you to sacrifice your child, but he was a God who would never ask you to do that. He was a God who was not like these angry and capricious gods of all of Abraham's neighbors. No, he was a God of covenant, and he was a God of love. And so when Abraham gets to the top of the mountain, what happens? God says, Abraham, I don't want you to sacrifice your child and as a matter of fact, Abraham, I'm going to provide a sacrifice. You see where this ends up, right? Right now, we're already getting hints of the cross, where God is going to say, listen, you could offer a whole lot for your sin, but it's not going to be enough. I'm going to have to provide the sacrifice. You see, that's the kind of God our God is, the God who provides his own sacrifice, the God who, who satisfies the, the requirement and the payment for our sins. Our God is a different kind of God. He is trustworthy. He is worthy of worship, which is why Abraham trusts God, even in what would have been the biggest struggle of his life. Jacob keeps fighting God, however, struggling with God, wrestling with God in a, in a literal way, actually. Another kind of weird story we read in this encounter, this, this whole section, is that when Jacob's past finally catches up with him, and Esau starts to march his way with what is effectively a standing army. A Jacob is, is at such a low point in his life that he divides his family up into multiple companies, really one big half and, and then another big half. 
He puts half of his children here, half of his children here, one of his wives here, one of his wives here, half of his stuff here, half of his stuff here. Why does he do that? He's, because he's convinced that he's only going to leave with half. He's convinced that Esau is going to take and kill and destroy half of what he's got. But the reason he's dividing it is that so that one half might still live and be saved. Can you imagine doing that? Dividing up your family, your kids, your stuff, saying, I'm going to lose half of this tomorrow. This has been taken away. Jacob goes that night, and he is, you know, going to try to sleep as best you can on a night like that. And the text tells us that this this man shows up. This is probably the Old Testament uh, character, the angel of the Lord, who shows up. And it says that this guy wrestles with Jacob all night long there on the bank of this river. And so you can imagine, you know, they're filthy, they're muddy, and this goes on all night. And then the morning, as as the the sun begins to dawn, uh, this man touches Jacob's hip and just miraculously dislocates it, which tells all of us and also tells Jacob that this fight was over whenever this guy wanted it to be over. You know, you can fight and wrestle and punch and, and whatever, but if some guy has the miraculous power to start dislocating, you know, joints in your body, then, you know, game over. And this guy, he dislocates Jacob's hip, and Jacob is still not done with the fight. Jacob holds on to this guy's heel in my mind, and, and you can see his hair's all messed up. He's got mud up in his nose, and he, he's, you know, he's like that that knight in Monty Python, you know, it's only a flesh wound. You know, it's just a dislocated hip. I've still got another round in me. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then this angel of the Lord, God himself, who, I mean, there's so many cool references, turns around. And, and you can imagine what this would be like, right? You've got the power to dislocate Jacob's hip. You, you've probably got the power to take his life. And here's this person with this great audacity saying, I need you to bless me. And what does he do? He blesses him. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And and here's the thing that I think we've all got to get, and I think Jacob finally understood, is that you can use people, you can fight people, you can try to strong-arm God, you can fight God, and you can even get ahead doing those things. You can get ahead doing a lot of those things. But eventually it all catches up. And eventually there is something that's going to happen. And you're going to realize that the only thing you can do is ask God to bless you. And in the asking, God gives you what you could never get through fighting, through battling, through working, through earning. Sometimes you only get it. because he fought him. It's not because he overpowered him. It's because he blessed him. You see, that's how it is with God. God gives things to those who ask him. What did God give to Jacob? He gave him a new name, Israel. What's that name mean? It means struggle with God. The name is given as a signifying close to the chapter that Jacob's struggle with God is now over. Here's the thing. Jacob could have had that name point in time, Jacob could have said, God, I'm done fighting. I want you to bless me. And God did. The worship team's going to come out this morning. I, 
I want to say this is true probably for a lot of us. We keep getting things backwards. You know, we keep using people. We keep worshiping things. We keep fighting with God. And if that's you this morning, it can stop like right now. Like you don't have to fight God anymore. You can just say, God, would you bless me? God, would you meet me in this moment? God, would you forgive me? Could we have a new relationship? And the answer is going to be yes. So this morning as we sing this song, some of you have never given your life to Christ. You, you're constantly fighting him. If so, I, I'd love to talk with you about what that would look like. I'm going to be sitting over here. And if you've got questions about that, I'd love to talk with you. The person that brought you to church could talk with you about that. The people at booth in the prayer area, you could talk with them. Others of you, you, you know what to do next. You just got to stop fighting. You've given your life to Christ, but you just keep picking up the battle. And God's saying, listen, how, how long do you want to do this? You, you can't win again. You just got to surrender. You just got to ask, and I'll meet you right where you are. Why don't you stand? Let me pray. God, you're so good to us. We keep fighting. We keep getting our priorities wrong. We keep getting stuff backwards and Fighting you is exhausting. And we can't win. And so, Lord, this morning we say that we've had enough. And we want you to bless us, God. Would you meet us here? Would you show us your love? Would you let us start over? Would you give us a new name?
have questions. We do too. Um, and we don't know all the answers quite yet, but as it goes on, let me give you a few things. The elders have already met multiple times with Weston, who is active and engaged in, in the transition process. We're so thankful for that. Over the coming weeks, we'll be assigning a group of people to help with this transition process, identify new candidates. We'll be working with Weston in that. Um, in the meantime, we're going to be adding a web page on our website that will provide communication and, and ongoing updates regarding where things stand. We'll have an email address that the elders can be reached, and, and we're going to be very involved in this. And then, you know, we're not hard to find, so if you ever want to catch us at scheduled time to meet with us, please feel free to do so. We'd be happy to. But I echo what Weston said. Just I've been, my family and I have been coming here for several years now, and I just look across this, this sanctuary and what we have, and it is absolutely 